The Outskirts of Faith podcast is brought to you by Monkey Nut Audiobooks. Creating audiobooks, podcasts and voiceovers that keep people listening. Hello and welcome to the Outskirts of Faith podcast, the podcast that is literally for everyone. It's conversation that's been going on for around 2,000 years, and that conversation has stemmed from the dawn of time. So you are very welcome here, whether you've just got a curious question, whether you've got a bit of an interest. This is stuff which I think you'll find quite interesting. Every week we are joined by different people sharing their stories. And remember, you can join us on TikTok and Instagram, Facebook, and all that stuff. And of course, go on our website, outskirtsoffaith.com. So let's see what's coming up on today's episode. There was nothing left. So there's nothing for me to strive for or to retain or whatever. As I often see in the prison, that people are rock bottom in that gutter and go, what is the meaning of life? All of those kind of questions that are really deep-seated for all of us. If I can just be still and know that you're God. I can hand everything, all of this, over to you. So today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Cliff McClelland. He is an Anglican chaplain at the local prison. He's an ordained vicar for the past six years. So I'm going to go straight over and say you're very welcome, Cliff. Hello. Hello. Let's just go straight away. What's an Anglican chaplain? Oh. What does that mean? <laughs> yes. Uh, so it means I'm appointed by the prison. So I'm employed by the prison as a chaplain, which is the faith representative within the prison and that's the anglican bit is the church of england bit for those that are church of england members or followers or christians within the prison will turn to me for support and encouragement although i look after people with any and every faith within the prison i'm licensed and accredited by the church of england which is why i'm able to work there under their license so to speak but i'm a i work in the prison and why do you work in a prison? What first uh, drew you to work? It's a long answer, really. I'll try and keep it short. Go for it. I was, <laughs> uh, it seems like all bits of my life have pointed this way. I've been a bad lad in the past, not enough to go to prison, but so very close. I did 12 years in the army, so can put up with the rough and tumble and the effing and blinding that there's plenty of that most Anglican priests or Anglican chaplains or vicars wouldn't necessarily cope with. I think one of the main reasons I didn't end up in prison is because some guys, some sports coaches actually as a teenager encouraged me and supported me and gave me purpose and kept me on the straight and narrow, uh, so to speak. And so feel compelled to do that for others in similar situations, having perhaps already gone over the line, as it were, if they've already done enough to get in prison, but nonetheless to come alongside men with troubled backgrounds is where I feel called to. It seemed God was calling me to get ordained to be a vicar some eight or nine years ago and pursued that. And then the only sensible place for me to end up working was in prison. I absolutely love it and it breaks my heart. Something that people often ask of God is like, where are you calling me to work? What what do you want me to do with my mm. life? Now I'm a Christian, whatever, following you. And for me, it's real clear that God has called me to be in that place for this time. Interesting. Because a lot of people think that Christianity, if they, especially if they're on the outskirts of faith, just looking in at it for the first time, is quite fluffy, it's quite nice and things like that. But it's not as that seems. You don't have to be, I always say there's a door for everybody, you know, no matter where it is. Mm. It's something I, I quote often, which I've said with you many a time of Michael Emmett when he said, Jesus loves the gutter. And like it says in the Bible, that Jesus 
does look to the sinners. You know, Jesus is here for the sinners to bring them up. So I imagine that you can support what I say regularly, that it doesn't matter what you're going through, what you've been through, what you've done, there is a way to Jesus. There is a door. And you probably see that more than anyone. Is that right? Well, whether it's more than anyone or certainly more than Sarah, my wife, who's a vicar in parish ministry. Who we've had on, who we've had on the show, yeah. yeah. So we have quite a contrasting working life. I certainly see more people that are less like Christians, as it were, to the onlooker than uh, than most and who are in that gutter. Absolutely, they're in that gutter. So let's say there's people listening to this and they feel that they have, say, sinned, they feel that they've done a bad thing, they think that whatever it is they've got going on, you know, mm. I, I can't guess that, but whatever people have got going on and we've all got something, what would you say they have got to look forward to by turning to Jesus? First of all, that doing something wrong, turning away from Jesus is, like you say, we might call sin or what we might call getting it wrong or just living the less than best life, so to speak, as what we might be called to by God. So as we turn to him, as we understand that he is who he is, who he says he is, is the saviour of the world, he died on the cross for all that we did wrong and wants us to turn and follow him. That's the aha moment as we turn to Jesus. And then because we can't face two places, two ways at the same time, we've turned away from the sin that's behind us. We've removed any wing mirrors, if you like. We can't even see it. And we're turning towards Jesus. And now, now we have that life that we're called to, which is not a simple, straight, tarmac, smooth road. It's a rocky road and there are bumps and bruises along the way. But Jesus is with us every step of the way in all of that. It's amazing and it's joy-filled and it absolutely changed my life. But following the path of Jesus, like just that phrase for someone kind of hearing that for the first time, that's a bit kind of like, out there, isn't it? It's a bit like, what, 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 what does that even mean? I mean, what's the in the simplest? If someone said, "Well, I want to," it sounds great, and yeah, my, my heart's telling me to do that, but it just sounds so extreme. In simplest terms, what, what is that first step? Was it Martin Luther King Jr. said, "You don't have to see the whole staircase; you just need to take the next step," or, yeah, or something yeah. like that, which, yeah. is, which I think yeah. is great. So, what is the first step? The first step, I think, is to find someone that knows what they're talking about or someone that has already turned to Jesus already, someone that would already call themselves a Christian, and just start asking the questions that you've just asked, because it's certainly more than a podcast full to to cover it all. Yeah. Especially as we're talking about individuals, we're talking about their context, their issues, their questions, and so on. I was in my late 30s when I'd hit rock bottom in so many different ways, and turned to a friend of mine, a neighbour of mine. I was not a Christian at the time. He was. He was the leader of a local church. And he says now, some you know, 25, 26 years later, that I asked him more questions than anyone has ever asked him about the meaning of life and what it is about what's the Jesus, what's the Bible and stuff. Let me jump in there because we are actually talking outskirts of faith here. Yeah, so you have, it's quite clear, you have been at some point on the outskirts of faith. So... Let's continue this story, but then also if there are any other examples where you may have been on the outskirts of faith or maybe been in faith but then pulled to the sidelines and then back again. What has that looked like for you, Cliff? 35 or 36 years worth of 
not on the outskirts of faith, but like absolutely no way Jose faith <laughs> and just the reverse. And then things started getting peeled away from me that were part of my ego. I no longer had a fit-looking woman on my arm. I no longer had a house. I no longer had a mortgage. Everything went. My marriage had broken down and I was depressed and on medication. And to top it all, I was then homeless. And so there was nothing left. So there was nothing for me to strive for or to retain or whatever. And my sister actually said, Cliff, why don't you just nip to the doctors and just see what they say? She knew they'd put me on medication, which enabled me then to see the wood for the trees. So you were in a pretty bad state. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so everything was stripped away. And it's so, as I often see in the prison, that people are rock bottom in that gutter and go, what is the meaning of life? What is this all about? Why am I here? What Did someone really make all of this? Is it the Big Bang? You know, all of those kind of questions that are really deep-seated for for all of us in in some different, you know, form or whatever. And so then I moved on to the edge of faith, as you put it. And Mm. so I'm now on the edge of faith, talking to my mate Colin, and just going through everything about what it means to follow Jesus. So I find a, a friend in Colin and ask these questions. That's my first approach, I guess. And secondly, I kind of see it in a sort of a triangulation thing. First of all, a good, solid Christian person. In my case, it was a bloke then reading scripture and getting to understand what it is, scripture being the Bible, and understand what it is in the Bible. It's so wrong if you think you can just pick it up and start at the beginning and work through. It's much more Let's jump in that because that's a very valid point if you're listening to this. Because some people do actually say, pick up the Bible and, and just read it, these amazing stories. I can't do that. I openly admit that I struggle actually kind of reading, in many ways, the Bible because I struggle a bit with maybe getting the true identity of it. I like it being read to me, like audiobooks. I do a lot of YouTubing. I did it last night on Abraham. I watched this video. It was fantastic. Mm. And then what it enabled me to do is when I pick it up next, I've got a little bit more of an understanding. But it was Sarah, your wife, who said to me, she has a big smile on her face, that it gets so exciting when you can see the connection between the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. Mm. And it's true that for me... It's jumping here, then jumping there. Do you think it's okay that some people may never actually read some sections of the Bible if they do it that way? To begin with, absolutely. If to follow Jesus, if to become a Christian is dependent on reading the whole Bible, we've missed the point. So it has to be that we read the bits that might help us to understand the big picture of Jesus, the big picture of God that we are just a part of. And that would start with the... So there were four followers of Jesus when he was alive on this earth, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of people have heard of those gospel books within the Bible. Mm. They're part of the New Testament. They're the first bits of the New Testament, which means the New Testament is from Jesus' birth onwards. The Old Testament is pre-Jesus, all pointing towards Jesus and talking about the, the story of God. So to read one of those gospel books and to then have questions around those, what you're reading... What does it mean to say when Jesus says, I am the bread of life? I mean, we need to ask someone about that that's already trodden the path. And that's where yeah. the person, the bloke, comes in, Colin, and the scripture. And then the third thing is, what's going on in my guts here? Does this feel right? Is this making sense to me? Is this the kind of language that I'm used to? How does it deal with that bit of my life? And how does it deal? So it's very personal. And if Jesus is not speaking to me through scripture and through this other person, then you know, I'd be very surprised because that's 
that's how it all comes together. And that came together for me, like I say, 25 or so, 26 years ago, through doing what they called the Alpha course, which is a introduction course to faith. I just hit rock bottom, as I said, and went to this church in Poole in Dorset and spoke to the vicar there. And uh, and he said, and I'd explained my life and where I was at the moment. I think I may well have become a Christian at this point. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, he said, why don't you do the Alpha course? So I turn up the Alpha course. It's one evening a week for 12 weeks or so. And you get to really bang home some questions that's like, well, come on, you can't just say that the Bible is true. How do I know that you're telling the truth about the truth, you know, and and so on? And who is Jesus? Surely he's just a good bloke, isn't he? You know, all of those kind of things. And to top it all, you get a three-course meal and a glass of wine. Ka-ching for a guy that (laughs) is, is on social benefits or whatever it was at the time. So it was a double win. So that was a real good. And then at some point over those next few weeks, it consolidated my faith. Talking to people, reading scripture and having what's going on within me chime with all of that. Amazing. We should uh, talk about the Alpha Course a little bit more. I've mentioned it a few times as well. It's a great introduction, isn't it? And it's something which is so very, very strong today. I know our church is doing it. But then also there's the website. If you just write Alpha Course and have a look on there, then there is one near you, isn't there? Yeah. You know, you could just turn up. You literally could just turn up. And I always say, if you're outside the door, it's just like anything, you know, even when you're in the playground at school and you want to go and join in with that game or something, sometimes you just got to go and kind of sort of sheepishly sort of step forward and swallow and next thing, oh, look, I'm playing this game. You know, it's no different. You know, if you just look up Alpha Course, in fact, I'd really suggest this, that if you're just thinking to yourself, now, actually, yeah, I'm having a moment right this very, very second where I'm thinking, yeah, I just want to explore it a bit further. Then just type in right now, while you're listening to me, if you're on your phone, if you're on the computer, just pick it up, open the search browser, just write in Alpha Course and check it out. And, and they won't be sorry, will they, Cliff? No, no. I mean, even if it consolidates your disbelief, you've achieved something. And even if all you do is get a free meal for a few weeks, but it absolutely is there to open every question up to scrutiny for, for you to so what is this all about? You know, what's the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all of that kind of things. They're great questions and just a chance to go and have it out with someone. You might yeah. even have like one little nugget in there as well. I often find that within church community as well. There's a little nugget. You know, you think that you go in and you walk away with so much holiness. I feel so holy today. Wow. Mm. Check me out. God and myself, we're really tight. Mm. But it's Sometimes you just walk away with a little nugget. Mm. I remember with the Alpha course, they've sort of different ones, don't they? They sort of have like a sort of a teenage one, yeah. one for adults. Is that right? Yeah. I think it was more of like a youthful one that I watched, which was quite cool. And I watched it and I thought, yeah, well, I'm, I'm already in it, you know, so I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But it, it was when they said about the, it's about 2 point, it was over 2.5 or 2.8 billion Christians in the world. Mm. And Literally, that little nugget reached out to me in the whole thing that I watched. Mm. And I was like, that's why it's so important to continue the work of the apostles. Mm. Because that's when, for some reason, it was like, ching, 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 in my head, you know, 2,000 years, 2.5, 2.8 billion. That's a lot of people in a very short period of time. We're very youthful, post-New Testament. We've got to continue this work, yada, 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 and on and on and on. And that's a little nugget. So we got to look for that. And it's the same within the Bible. You know, there are lots of little bits and nuggets in Scripture, and everybody has that. And I have asked you today to bring a little bit of Scripture with you. And I'm really curious with yourself, 
what did you choose? Would you kindly read it to us and then tell us what it means to you, please? Yes. Um, let me describe it a little if I can first. Yeah, please. So there are a whole load of songs said to be written by David, who was a guy in the Old Testament times. And so he wrote a whole load of songs, called them the Psalms. And there's a very short bit in Psalm 46, verse 10. I kind of rise with pride that I'm able to quote scripture because <laughs> I'm not the most academic. I did get a degree in theology, mission and ministry, but not until the age of 56. And so I love telling my brothers and sisters, I've got a degree now and um, I'm able to quote scripture. And Fantastic. so so it, Psalm 46 verse 10 simply says, and if I choose anything too long, then it can often get lost in the melee of this is, you know, when I'm on the landings in the prison, as it were. and Simply, it says, be still and know that I am God. And just as I say that now, it just gets me going when I can see a guy going for the door, going for someone's throat, going for the worst case scenario that you might imagine in a prison. And if he can just put his hand on his own chest and just fall back and sit on the edge of his bed and just be still and know that I am God. And that is to hand everything in that moment over to him. Oh, my word, does that take a lot of commitment mm. and self-discipline and control to be able to do it at that moment. But I've seen it happen, Elliot, and it's really powerful, really powerful, and such a short bit of Scripture, but it's loaded with so much, especially if you go back to the Psalm, that Psalm 46 leading up to that moment where he's like, it's all going wrong, crash, bang, wallop, and all of this, and then, oh, but if we could just be still and know that God is... God, that he is God. I had the um, pleasure of producing Brian Heasley from 24-7 Prayer, and his book is actually Be Still. Mm. It talks about that, and it made an, an impact on me as well. I think that what I love about what you just did there was that it was the way you said it. And I think that it's very easy to sort of read and go, be still and know that I am God and move on. But the way you said it there, be still and know that I am God, mm. is incredibly, incredibly powerful. When do you feel that that is something that people could just pull out of their back pocket and use on a day-to-day -day basis? All the time. I think there's. we should have that as the backdrop to know that in our lives, to know that God is... In control, God is the King of Kings, is the Lord of Lords. And he is on that throne that we think we're often on because of our ego. He is the one that is ultimately in control. He's the ultimate judge with all of this. And if we could just hang on a minute and just remember that it's him, it's not about you. It's not about that guy that's just wronged you. It's not about whether you've got your food too late or so many different triggered situations that can happen, you know, in and out of prison, but always in life. And if if we could just, it almost sounds too trite to say, if we could just chill out a bit and know that God's in control here. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to hand all agency over to him and, you know, all control over to him. You can still work out whether you thump the guy or whether you drink your tea or whether you do this, that or the other, you know. Um, but it's something that is often at the... I try and keep it at the front of my mind myself. For me, it's also actually a lovely introduction to speaking to God as well. I, if you break it down mm. within the two sections there, mm. what a lovely way to actually start. Like if you've never truly opened up your mouth and, and sort of spoken to God and just kind of 
welcomed the Holy Spirit into your life, for example. It, it sort of sums it up beautifully there, doesn't it? Mm. For, for first-time people, like, be still, stop, mm. take a minute, and know that I am God. So just to acknowledge and say, you are there, God. Mm. In a very, very simple term, stop, take a minute, I'm just saying I know you're there, God. Just by saying that, that is the start of a prayer. Like, mm. that is a lovely introduction to prayer. Would you agree? Yes, and I think that if you then take it to the next step, I think, as I, as I just mentioned, that what we're doing is in that moment is going that this situation that's triggering me, that's winding me up, that's going to cause me to do something that I'm going to regret later or I'm going to just, you know, produce another victim in all of this and the ripple effect that goes with that. And yet, if I can just be still and know that you're God, I can hand everything, all of this, over to you, who who I am, what this situation is, how I feel about it, and I can hand it over to you. And, and in that is this prayer of, please, Lord, come and take over here. You, yeah, you, yeah. Do, you have it. You do it. You help me. And it's amazing how much help you get when you acknowledge and you suddenly realise that you're working in a partnership. Mm. You know, but just by acknowledging you do introduce something in, into your life. And then the more you do it, suddenly you're like, oh, oh, wow. And suddenly the, the day just gets that little bit brighter. Mm. All right, Cliff, I'd like to move on. We have now come to... What, what does it mean? I really don't have a clue. So every week we address words that might pop up within a Christian community or within church. And they might be words that people don't really know what it means or this may be a, a conversation they may not want to get involved in. Happens to me all the time, literally all the time. I'm hearing words, I'm like, but I don't mind. I'm just like, oh, excuse me, haven't got a clue over here. Can you help me out? So chosen a word, and I think this word does come up quite a lot. I think you're a very, very good person to talk about this. So your word is forgiveness. What does the word forgiveness mean? And while you're talking about it, I'm going to have one of these amazing cookies that you've uh, bought me from Jersey. So Cliff, forgiveness. So Often we'll hear of, you are forgiven, my child. You're a, a son of the Father, and Jesus went to the cross, and you are forgiven because of what he did on the cross, which is great, and that is true. That was so but, weird hearing you talk like that. <laughs> I was like, stop. Um, and I'd get ignored a lot in prison if I did that. Mm. There's um, so many examples of this kind of conversation in the prison. What One strikes me as I was walking along the wing once and this guy he was big and just about filled the doorway of his cell that he was leaning against with his arms folded and he just said so who are you then I said well I'm the chaplain he said but what's that then I said well you know what a vicar is he said yeah he said well I'm the vicar in here really I'm one of the vicars you know okay he says um so can I be forgiven for what I've done wow yeah I know wow flipping heck it was huge and just I'm thinking Someone's put you up to this. The first thing that's standing out to me, sorry to interrupt you, is that if you saw that along the street, you saw someone standing there, maybe a big imposing guy, arms crossed, you might think to yourself, I might cross over the road. Yeah. I might just walk past. Hmm. Well, you wouldn't see the human element, you know, the spiritual element. Hmm. And that's what you felt in that. That's what you got in that moment. Sorry, hmm. carry on. Amazing. And so then follows a, the whole conversation around his unforgiveness, his shame, his guilt, his reluctance to talk about it with with most people because I'm a chaplain and 
because I'm not in a, a uniform in there, then I've I'm given a lot of credit when it comes to trust and confidentiality. So this guy then opens up and talks about all that went on and we have a, a good old conversation around what it is to be forgiven. And in some simple ways, if, if we're looking at forgiving, it's often forgiving yourself, by the way, but if we're looking at uh, different ways of how you might depict forgiveness where we're always falling short of actual forgiveness by God because of what Jesus did on the cross, by the way. Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah. Yeah, please. Well, well that's what I was just <clears throat> going to try and give a, a sort of a different ways of depicting or of explaining forgiveness. And they are always, an, an analogy is always weaker than the actual thing that you're using as an analogy for, I guess that's what I'm saying. Right, so right. I'm going to try and describe something, but it's not so easily describable in in, in one or two ways. Sure. And, and the first thing is that, you know, if someone cuts you up when you're in your car and they carry on driving on their merry way and you're pulling your hair out, only if I had any, <laughs> and, uh, and he's just cut me up, you plonker, you know, and I'm banging the steering wheel or whatever, and he's going along singing to Abba or whatever, completely oblivious as to what went on. <laughs> well, it might not have been Abba. <laughs> I just love that you went, your default was to go to Abba. Yeah, on, carry, yeah. carry on. Um, and so I'm now raging I'm the one that's been poisoned for what just happened. So I'm taking the poison, wanting him to die for it, if we no, no, continue keep going, the I get analogy. It. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And he's completely oblivious to it. So why don't I just get over it, forgive him, because he doesn't know what he's done, and that's all fine, and then I can get on my merry way. And now, no longer am I taking poison, expecting him. No longer am I banging the steering wheel. Maybe I could even put Abra on and listen to it myself you know, and, and just get on with life. And that's a massive oversimplification of it, That's first of all. But it does help us understand what it is to forgive others. And I'm not talking about forgetting. I'm talking about letting that person off the hook that you've put them on for what they've done. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is if God sits on the judgment seat and goes, you did wrong and it was your fault and you're guilty of all of this, You now you need to pay the consequences of that, and then he gets out of his seat and comes and sits where you are and takes the punishment that you should be taking. And that is mm. forgiveness at the ultimate extreme end of the scale, if you like. That doesn't mean to say that you burgle someone's house and, and you're let out of prison. It doesn't work like that. You still have to take the human consequences of how the world is structured from a... I'm glad you said that, yeah, the human consequences. And mm -hmm. then there's the, the spiritual internal mm -hmm. self and it, as well. It's really important to separate those. And they can come together at some point, but if we separate them and know that constantly in there, people can know that they can be forgiven by the ultimate judge, by God who is judge of all, will forgive you so long as you turn to him and say you're sorry. You know, if you stick two fingers up at him and walk away and go... You know, I'm happy to do all of this. Or if you go to him every Sunday going, yeah, punched a few guys this week, I'm sorry. See, I'm forgiven. I can walk free again. And then on Monday, you do the same again. You're missing the point. This is yeah. you turning away from, as I talked about before, you take the wing mirrors down, you turn away from what was behind, and now you're pointing towards Jesus. And pointing towards Jesus looks different to what you've just turned from. And that's when your life begins to look and sound differently to yourself and to others. I love what you were him. saying about the wing mirrors. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love it. 
because that's what you're seeing what's behind. Mm. You know, if you take them off, you only see what's in front. Mm. And how do you want that front to be? Mm. You said about the car thing, and you said, oh, it's a very simple example. Mm -hmm. It's simple, but I think very, very relevant. Because I think that it's often little things that cause the most aggro in our lives. Mm. Something's going on at work. You carry it with you when you're driving home. So your car journey, you're going to be a little bit more reactional to people. You know, it could be the way you speak to someone. It could be you go into a shop and you want to buy a pack of biscuits. They don't have your biscuits. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying. But I think it's very, very good practice to actually find things on a day-to-day. -day. And it could be sort of saying hello to someone, hmm. you know, rather than having your head down, having your head up, you know. Yeah. I think it's very, very good practice to actually start on those little things because it does clear the head to help address the bigger things as well. Do you agree with that? Mm. Yeah, I think that there's something about having a wholesome life that is, like you say, take the wing mirrors off and let's just look forward to life as we know it now and not looking back as to how we used to, but now how we are going to. And that gives us an opportunity to take ourselves off that hook, as it were, of unforgiveness. And we can be forgiven for what we've done ourselves because often we can't forgive ourselves for what we've done and we feel shame in that. And you can imagine just glimpsing in the mirror every time and going, oh, yeah, I did that. I've heard it said that, you know, if someone gets on a bus, they're a passenger, they get off the bus, they're not an ex-passenger, but someone that goes to prison and comes out of prison, it's like, oh, you're, you're the ex-con, you're the ex-prisoner. And it's mm -hmm. very difficult to lose that label. Constantly they're trying to have that wing mirror and take it down constantly they're trying to look forward to something that's more healthy for them and for society and for those around them and it's a, oh, a yeah and we and, and we, we don't know the reason why they're in mm. you know i imagine that whether you go in for say a, a excuse my terminology but say a, something that may be deemed a smaller crime to say a bigger crime you're mm. still tarnished when you come out with i've been inside mm. you know and i and i i it really bothers me, actually, just saying it. Mm. It really bothers me that these people can get so easily judged mm. like that. Mm. And I think that forgiveness, you know, if we take that scale, but also take something that happened to you down the road, someone who said something, you've got to kind of see the bigger picture before you judge. And we're all guilty for it. I mean, I know I'm guilty for it, but I do try, Cliff. You know, I mm. do try. I, I say, I'm feeling like this, but then I'm thinking to myself, okay, What's their backstory? <laughs> I've mm. no idea. So do you know what? I can just let that, I'm going to let that go. Mm. And pray for them. Mm. Pray for them. You know, just simple, God, just be with them. Whatever mm. they're going through, be with them. I found that helps. Mm. Do you ever advise people to, to pray for people in that situation? All the time, if, if scripture, if the Bible tells us anything, it is to pray in all circumstances, all situations, even for those that we consider our enemies, we're praying for them. And when you start praying for your enemy, then the whole dynamic changes. Why on earth would you want the best for that guy that's just wronged you, as it were, or that person that you've that's really made life difficult for you? Why would you want the best for them by praying for them? And we're not praying for something vindictive to happen to them, but for them to be loved and to be be able to love others or whatever, or for them to to realise where they've gone wrong and to turn back to mm. uh, you know a more healthy way so that changes the dynamic when we're praying if we're even praying for those enemies 
that have done that thing, then that changes that dynamic right from the start. Now, before we move on, Cliff, I want to just point out a little nugget which I heard in the past, however long we've been talking, and that was that by making our mistakes and then going to church and, you know, or, or just praying or just in your own way, and everyone can pray in their own way, everyone's got their own thing, it's fine, you can have a conversation like me, how I do it in making a cup of tea in the morning. But you've got a question to ask, and that is, are you going to ask for forgiveness and do it again? Mm. Or are you going to ask for forgiveness and then move on mm. without them side mirrors? Mm. And I, I feel like I wanted to say that because I think for people listening, that's pretty cool. Mm. You know, we've all done wrong. I have. Everyone has. We're not perfect. We're so far from it. But you know what? There's something that you do think that needs forgiving and mm. you speak to God, pray to Jesus, you invite the Holy Spirit into your life daily and you ask for that forgiveness and you, you give yourself to Jesus and, you've, and you're forgiven, then you've got a choice and how wonderful it'll be to move on mm. with and that. I, and I think that if we call that taking two steps forward in a simplistic term, yeah. if I take one step back, it might look like doing 35 in a 30 mile an hour, breaking the speed limit, you plonk a slow down and stick with the, you know, with the way things should be. That's a very simple example but for some people that have had a, a more chaotic, less structured, more embedded within the prison system and the gang structure and so on, and just burglary, crime and so on is part of their life. You know, we had one lad who was in there and he's been in the care system and his foster dad took him on his first burglary at the age of 14. I mean, mm. that's the start point. So these people that live these kind of lives take two steps forward, turn to Christ, turn to Jesus, understand this is what they're called to, and they take one step back. That can look like a horrendous thing, but actually it's one step back. And what they've then got an opportunity, what you and I have got an opportunity to do whenever we screw up, is to reboot, unplug it, plug it all back in, start again. Sorry, Jesus, accept my, you know, what I did wrong. Forgive me for it. And we can start again. And right. we can all do that. I think that's that's also another important point as we are all listening here now, is that you can do that. You can do it now. You, we can start again now. Don't wait till Sunday morning. Don't wait till you've done week three of the Alpha course or whatever. We can do that now. So I'm curious, Cliff, with everything going on in the world and everything you see on a day-to-day -day basis, where have you seen God working recently? There's a, a guy that I was on, at college with and he used to work in a, a, a church up in Sheffield and, and his boss, being the vicar, would get them all together on, on a Monday morning and if they couldn't give an example of where God had been at work in and around their lives in this last week, then they were getting close to forgetting the sack for doing their job because if, <laughs> as a professional Christian, if you can't see God at work in lives today, you know, in and around this situation now, then you're kind of missing the point because this is a God for all time and and for all seasons and for everyone, and he is at work in our lives all the time. One simple example was there was a guy a week or two ago, and he was coming out of prison with no accommodation. And the prisoners get a diary which has little scripture references on every day to encourage them. So the group that was saying, oh, what, what are we going to do for this guy about accommodation and all the other prisoners, and so they were prayed about it. They came back the following week and they said, so you're released on the 14th. You know the scripture on the 14th. I think I've got it written down here. Yeah. So the scripture 
on the 14th, the day that it has been released, says it's from John 14, verses 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> and wow. that, so it's like, well, of course, so settle down, we'll find you a house, don't worry. And the guy did go out to have a place to go and live, and he wasn't homeless again. And the massive plus that that is for a guy going out of prison to not return again, to have somewhere to go and stay, and to know that before he leaves, and to know that God is speaking into his life, and to those around can see God at work in his life, and so by extension will work in our lives. Oh, my word. It's a so great story. powerful. And this was a... I wonder how many weeks ago. And he's not back in yet. Amazing. A great and story. It probably won't be. Okay, it's now time for Splat the Nat. Yes, it's time for Splat the Nat, Cliff. And basically, the whole point of this is that in life, we have lots of troubles. People have different things going on, trauma stuff that's going on day to day, maybe the small things that we have uh, addressed today. And it can really take control of your life. And I sort of address it a bit like a gnat constantly flying in front of your face you're swatting it away but it keeps coming back by the end of it you're making a great big deal of it where really we can take away the power of that by going splat and then handing it to god mm. and that doesn't mean it's gone you're not saying oh it's gone now hey you know no more trauma no more that but we're passing it to god and then it takes away that kind of brick wall in front of you carry on with your day and then together with the lord we can deal with it together. So my question is, in the world, if you could splat one thing and hand it to God, what would it be? Can I choose two? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, I think the first one is the additional judgment. So if someone goes to court and they're done for something and they receive judgment and you will now do this sentence or whatever, whatever, and they then their liberty is then taken away from them, they're locked up, that's judgment done. Never mind ultimate judgment before God, but judgment within the system, it's done. And other people, including those within the system, and when they leave prison and become ex-prisoners, will add this additional layer of judgment on top of that, it's like, hang on a minute, it's been done, it's dealt with, can we please move on, would be healthy and helpful for everyone concerned, especially the person, the perpetrator, that has just been judged and had to serve their time for that. So that's the first thing. Let's yeah, just I, do I away with that. I completely agree with that. It's the, I'm all right with judgment and I'm all right with the justice system and that works really well, but just don't put another layer on it, whatever that looks like in that situation. That's the first thing. And what was my second thing going to be is the the lack of resources to be able to do the job that I do to support people within the justice system. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have lack of staffing, lack of finances, lack of accommodation for when people leave prison, lack of jobs or understanding to give them a job and all of those kind of things if we can increase that. And the way that I've seen that dealt with particularly in in my context, is that we've got a number of additional chaplains coming along as a volunteer. And if you're listening now and feel anywhere near called to working in in prisons as a chaplain, then get in touch with your local prison because 
Oh, the need is huge, huge, huge for pastoral care for guys within the prison system, whether that's inside the prison or whether you're mentoring them and encourage them outside or whether you've got a, a spare building or so that we can put over for multi-occupancy for guys coming out of the system. Yeah, But it's really exciting to see what we're doing within my context, like I say, with the number of extra and additional volunteers that we've got coming in and this changing changing lives and encouraging people. So if someone's listening and thinking, yeah I, yeah, I would like to help, you say contact the local prisons. How do they do that? You know, like Google it? What, what, yeah. Who do they contact? Yeah, just Google it. Fantastic. Okay, Cliff, thank you so much. You're one of these conversations I want to keep going on. It's been great. Now, before we wrap up i do a little sort of quick fire question round at the end and basically it's just three questions and they're not necessarily difficult they are for me sometimes you know i have to do a bit of research on them however it's just a case where if you're in a situation and you hear this conversation come up or there is something alpha or there's something at the church or you're talking to your christian mate or you just want to explore it further and you think actually that question resonates with me you've got a starting point to go off and look a bit further. So the way it works, I ask you a question. All right, I've got my iPad here, so I am I always do a little disclaimer that I'm not the, the man of all knowledge. You know, I research and use Google and a bit of cross-referencing. And then I play a little sound bed. You've got a few seconds to think about it, and then you give your answer. And if you want to expand on your answer, by all means, please do. So, Cliff McClellan, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Question number one. Through what? <laughs> Your face is like, come on, give me a good one. <laughs> I, want to, I want to have access to Google myself. <laughs> no, no, you'll be fine. Ready with this one. Through what did God speak to Moses in the desert? All right, so. Through what did God speak to Moses in the desert? I know the answer. It's, it's through the burning bush. It is through the burning bush. Yes. I think that's a bit of a, a, a strange one. Is it's like, oh, what? Someone's walking down and see a burning bush. I've never really sort of seen a burning bush talk to me. Let's just see what it says in Exodus 3. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Help me with any of these words if I get them wrong. The priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb. Horeb? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mountain of God. I always wonder if it's Horeb or Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So we don't really see burning bushes now, do we? But the impact, if you're just walking down and you sort of see that, what do you think that would have looked like? Well, I think it would have looked like a burning bush with, Let, without dis- it disappearing and and it would have looked odd and it would have been startling and it would have stopped you in your tracks and made you go, on, well, come on, pay attention, this is me, so come over here, don't just walk past and it would have been compelling. And I, I know that you've spoken to Tom Wright probably in this room and he's a better guy for answering this question and that's where I would have turned to Google But every But point. every answer is relevant. I mean, yeah, yeah, a yeah. burning bush, for example, you know, it's like, for me, I don't visualise of walking along and suddenly I see a little shrub. You know, it's like, I, I think it would be quite significant. I, yeah. I think the atmosphere around it would have been very, very significant. I don't just think it would just be like this bush on fire. That, that's just me. I think you would mm. go and you'd think there is something going on, I think, up up in the sky. I, I think everything surrounded it. That's just me. Mm. But, but it's really interesting. I think that if it is a compelling thing to have to attend to, 
than if we go back to the guy that was standing in his doorway and he just said, can I be forgiveness? That was compelling to me. I could not just walk past. Right. And this has got at work in that moment in my my life and his life. And this is a moment that God has ordained, God has chosen, God is calling us to address. And I think those moments happen here and now. It so there's a great lesson right. there. You know, yeah. there's a great lesson that, that could be related to that story. And I remember, guys, if you're listening, that the Bible will reach people in different ways, mm. you know, and different scripture will reach you in different ways. But if you build up that relationship, you will feel more compelled to do things. And you then have a question to ask yourself, do you want to act on it? Mm. You know, but that that's, that's an interesting one. Okay, question number two, Cliff. What did Moses say God commanded the Pharaoh to do? So question number two, what did Moses say God commanded the Pharaoh to do? I don't know. Yeah, you do. What did God command the Pharaoh to do? No, what did Moses Moses say God commanded the Pharaoh to do? So when they had that conversation, yeah. What did it's much more simple than than you think. I think you're probably overthinking it. Shall I let, <laughs> let you know? To let his people go. Okay. To let his people to yeah. let his people go. Uh-huh. Otherwise, you know, and there there'll be uh I think it was like plague and so forth. Yeah. I think they said they put frogs in the Nile and mm. all that. Uh so In fact, it does. Frogs, here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Hmm. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. Like that, that's quite a big, big, big big call, isn't it? It's like, you know, there's a calling for you, you know. Hmm. Go to Pharaoh. (laughs) <laughs> and say the following. But it's worth, you know, look into it. It's, it's, it's really interesting. This last question, it does kind of lead on, all right? So there's a, there's a whole chunk that happens there, and it gets to the bit where Moses goes off. He's got, you know, lots, lots of people with him, and then they're being followed and sort of chased down, So which leads you to your next question, which is, what did God do through Moses to save the slaves? So there's a follow-on to that. What did God do through Moses to save the slaves? Is this the parting of the Red Sea? It's the parting of the yes. Red Sea. Here, I have, have this. <laughs> Ta-da! Absolutely. So I've got here, like, God ordered Moses to stretch out his staff over the Red Sea and the sea parted. This allowed the Israelites to escape across the sea and away from Egypt unharmed. Meanwhile, the Pharaoh and his army followed them by charging into the sea, and I think we can guess what happened mm. next. Can I just say about some of those yeah, things? Because please. some of them are random acts of like, and so what, and so why is that in the Bible, and all of those kind of things. And that's where you get a chance to, you need to go and find someone to talk to that can say more than what we've got to say Absolutely. Here. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. enough to say that God is on the throne, as it were, as we've said before, and he is the one that can command all of this stuff to happen. And it's incredible, it's miraculous, and he does it through human agency as well. And so God is at work in and through us all day, every day. It just sometimes looks like parting of the waves and sometimes looks less dramatic, if you like. Absolutely, well said. And and it all starts with just inviting him into your life. So mm-hmm. if you are listening and you're thinking to yourself, do you know what? Yeah, I just I just know there's something more. I want to explore this further. Yes, you got the Alpha course. Yes, you got books like 
Carrie David Grant's The First 30 Days of Walking with Jesus. But it can start more simple. It can just start with saying, hello, God. It's simple as that. Hello, mm. God, I'm listening. Then you may just find that you can say goodbye to their wing mirrors. Yeah. So Cliff McClelland, uh, it's been such a joy. I hope you'll come back again sometime. Thank you so much for your time. I'd just like to invite you, we say it every week, if you would like to close down this podcast with a prayer and then I'll take over at the end and just do a little sign off. All right, fantastic. Lord, we thank you for this time to just stop and chat. Thank you for Elliot and all that he does through this podcast program and series. And we pray that you continue to open people's hearts and minds to something more of you, something more of themselves and to look forward to where they could be mm. and to who they could become because of you. Help us to see you individually at work in our lives. Take the uh, the scales off our eyes, as it were, to see more of you, mm. to see that burning bush that is compelling, uh, whatever that looks like in our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, just want to say such a huge thank you for Cliff and the work he does in the, in the prison system and for all of the lives that he's reaching out to. And, and Lord, I, I ask that you bless every single one of those people in the prison, that they may find you, that they may look into a direction towards you in, in more detail and to ask the questions. And for when they come out in, into the world out of prison, that they may seen, be seen for all the, the gifts that you have given them, that they may go forth and, and use those gifts. And I pray that anyone listening to this who may be inspired to, to, to help in this and have gifts to offer, that they do pick up the phone and, and reach out to their, their local prisons and, um, and offer in their help in any way they can. And Lord, I, I pray for all of our listeners and their family and, and bless their families and bless their lives and everything that they're going through today and tomorrow. And just, I ask that you just flood them with the Holy Spirit, mm. that they may just take that first step or a rekindled step or just to search for you further or if they're already walking in the name of Jesus, that they go and talk about it and tell others about it. So in Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Outskirts of Faith podcast. Do come back again and tell your friends. Remember, you can catch us on social media. You can email us, podcast at outskirtsoffaith.com and, of course, the website. And remember to use hashtag oof, which I love saying. Double O-F, hashtag oof. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Outskirts of Faith podcast. We would love more people to join our community, so please subscribe, share this podcast, and join us on our social media. And of course, you can visit our resource website at outskirtsoffaith.com. This podcast was edited by Chris Byland, the YouTube video editing by Adam Moss, music by Matthew Salvage, and hosted by Elliot Frisby. The Outskirts of Faith.